The following is a Thunderbolt West Media production. I'm talking about prepping, stick welding with batteries, and a whole lot more. You are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky was on fire, fear was in their eyes. It's my opinion that we should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues related to off-grid living. I also seek to educate my listeners about survival and prepping, and I'll talk about anything from government corruption to chemtrails. Also, I feel that our constitutional republic is worth saving. So I never miss an opportunity to do my part in helping to save our republic. I have two main goals for this show. Number one, to help you build your faith in God. And number two, to help each listener become as self-sufficient as possible. This show originates at the Harmony Barn Studios, located near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. The Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show airs on global shortwave stations WBCQ, Monticello, Maine, at frequency 7.490, and also on WRMI, Radio Miami International, on frequency 5850. And you can tune in to Key Radio, 89.3 FM, in Osage Beach, Missouri. And this show is also available on demand, on Spreaker, Anchor, Podpoint, Podpage, and Red Circle. My email address is jim at offgridliving.faith and be sure to visit my website, which is offgridliving.faith. Welcome aboard, everybody. I really appreciate you tuning in today. Well, I need to start off by thanking Bob Bierman, who is the host of Truth to Ponder. He's also an excellent man and a friend of mine. Has made it possible for me to have my shows on WRMI. And I really do appreciate it. That's been a long time coming. But I never gave up because I knew there were certain things that had to fall into place. And I really do feel that everything happens in God's time. And so I don't really push anything too awful much because I know that when it's time, God will make sure that it's time will be, you know, like it says, everything has its seasons. And right now is the time for me to expand the show. And with the help of Bob Bierman, It's going to be on WRMI, so I'm not only on WBCQ, but also now WRMI, so my coverage across all of North America is going to be just massive, and I really do appreciate that. And I want to mention also that I have a second show on WRMI and also WBCQ that's called Harmony Barn Sessions, and a lot of my regular listeners know that 
For years, I made my living as a professional musician. And so I have a, just a whole bunch of recordings and a lot of my work I've done through the years. And so that's what Harmony Barn Sessions is all about, recordings I've done in my studio. And also, I restore old recordings out of the wax cylinder era way back in the early 20th century, and also some in the late 19th century, some of the real early recordings. I restore them, and I do feature them on the show. And so for those who are looking for something new to listen to on shortwave, I invite you to check out Harmony Barn Sessions, both on WBCQ and also now on WRMI. And again, thanks, Bob. I really appreciate it. Well, for those that listen to me on Truth to Ponder, they've noticed that there's been several shows that have really got a little haywire. And I've been really trying to figure out what is going on because what's happening is I'm recording the show and then the show just disappears. I can't find it anywhere on my computer. And after looking for about a half hour, I give up on it and I'll record it again. And sometimes I record as much as like four times the same show over and over. And so I get real frustrated. And so if one of the later versions is one that actually stays there to where I can edit it, the shows have sounded a little bit angry at times and a little bit befuddled at times. I finally figured out that the program that I'm using has a virus. And what it's doing is it's making that computer program crash. And when it crashes, I lose everything, even if I save it. I started saving it before I even started recording. And so the file would be there, at least if it crashed, I could. I could at least recall that file. And so I would stop and save about every five minutes, thinking that that would really remedy the problem. Well, after I would get the version done, I would go to save it, and it would say it saved it. And then when I went to pull it back up, it wouldn't find it. And that's real frustrating. And so I had shows that were unedited. I've had shows that had parts of one show with parts of another. It just kind of like scrambled eggs. It took several shows and put them all together and mingled them. I don't know how that happens, but when you get a virus inside an audio program, it's almost like having a record that skips. You might be on one song and it'll skip and it'll jump to another song. And so I would spend hours editing and I'd have a product that I really wanted to get out. And I would edit it and I would proof it. And I would either send it to another computer or do something to really proof it. Then I'd rename it and then I'd send it. Well, I thought that was a foolproof way to do it to where there's no way that this problem could rear its head again. Well, it did again on my Thanksgiving edition. I recorded that four times. And when I went to edit, the first version showed back up. I looked for it for 30 minutes, couldn't find it. And then when I went to pull up the fourth version, it pulled up the first version. And I should have known then I had a problem. Well, I went ahead and edited it and put it into another computer, renamed it, and then sent it. But for some reason, it sent the fourth version, the one that I called up in the first place. But but when the other version came up, I renamed it and sent it to another computer and edited it. But I had to send it back to the first program to finalize it before I sent it. And so I finally figured out it's within that program that it really doesn't matter what I name the files. It's going to put whatever virus it has, makes it just choose any file that happens to be inside that program. 
And so I'm avoiding that program and I'm going to delete it. I'm not going to ever use another one like it again. And so I'm using all different software. As a matter of fact, I'm on my second time of recording this show. But I think it was my error because I have brand new software. And I don't know what happened. I went and hit save and it went away. And so I actually have three different softwares. So I decided, you know, I'm going to avoid that one too. And so I'm using another program, and it's the third one I've used in the last week. And so I'm going to try to get my quality to where it's consistent, and I'm not going to have these glitches that are going to go out over the air, because I'm trying to build a career as a broadcaster. And I tell you, it really doesn't help. It really doesn't help when you have computer viruses. And so I've been really cleaning out my computer and optimizing things and defragging and doing all sorts of malware removal. And it seems to me that it's coming together a lot better. As a matter of fact, nothing's been crashing. And so I should have known when the computer was crashing all the time that it had an issue. But I'm not the best with computers. You probably have figured that out. But I do have patience and I am going to hang with it until I get it right. So I want to thank everybody who's stuck with me. With through all this virus blunders that's been happening the last probably three weeks, I really appreciate you sticking around. And I'm really glad that I'm going to be broadcasting on shortwave and reaching so many people, because it seems to me that the shortwave listeners are probably the most responsive as far as donating to the program and sending me letters and cards, and I really do appreciate it. And so if you're listening to me on shortwave, I'm really proud and happy to be on shortwave, and I really hope that my programs live up to your expectations, and also I hope they live up to mine. And I am a shortwave listener, and there's lots of programming on shortwave that I dearly love, and I listen to probably four or five programs every day that come on shortwave, and so I am a dedicated shortwave listener. But with that said, I want my programs to measure up to these other really great programs that happen to be on shortwave. And I know that I'm not the only one having issues. I know I listened to Hal Turner, and Hal Turner just had his website hacked. And I think he had it hacked by some people that claim to be anti-Russian Ukrainians or something. I don't know exactly what's happening or what group is doing it. But Hal Turner is a one-man operation, just like me, and he's doing his best to provide a service. And I think it's despicable that anyone would hack his site and try to really hurt him as far as take him off the air. And anybody that knows Hal Turner, and I I don't know him personally, but I can tell you from listening to him that he is one tough cookie. And they're not going to back him into a corner. They're not going to make him cower. As a matter of fact, I would imagine that Hal Turner is going to ramp it up a notch or two just because of what they've done to him. And so I'm not the only one that has some issues, and there's other programs that I hear that sometimes are two or three audios going at once, and I know one of my programs did that as well. And so it's kind of a learning curve that I'm on, and because I've been doing the radio show in the afternoons, and to be honest with you, in the afternoons I need to be out doing physical work. I have a lot of things to get ready for winter, so I'm now doing my shows late in the evening, and I really do think that's going to help. And I really appreciate the people that are sending me in suggestions as far as topics. That's something that really will help the show as well. Well, enough about all that. I've kind of went on and on. Well, it looks like we're going to have a very cold, hard winter. 
And if we don't get any rain or snow, and there's no moisture in the ground at all, the plants are going to suffer mightily. And a lot of plants are going to winter kill, and when springtime comes, they're just not going to be alive. And so if you're a homesteader or you're someone that has an acreage or a yard or some saplings, some fruit trees, some bushes, anything like that, I think that if you're in the part of the United States where it hasn't rained, and it hasn't rained here for so long, I can't remember the last rainstorm we had. And the last time we had a decent snow was last year in 2021 on Halloween night. And so it's been over a year since we've had any really measurable snow, and usually we'll have three or four feet of snow every year. And sometimes during January and February, that snow will lay there for two or three weeks before it finally melts. And I really don't like snow, but I'll take it right now because we're extremely dry. But what I want to tell all my listeners, I think that if you haven't already done this, make sure that you water your fruit trees and your saplings and anything that you've planted especially. Anything that's been freshly planted as far as something you planted this spring. Really get the roots saturated. And I wouldn't do it all at once. I would take two or three days and give it an inch or two at a time. And that goes for your garden area and also goes for your yard. Everything is going to winter so much better if you can get moisture around the roots. And I know it's a little late to do it in some areas, but I do think if you can sneak some water on your garden area and keep that ground to be saturated, because you don't want it to get so dry that this spring when you start watering it, It'll seem like you have to water for a week before you get any sub-moisture in the soil to where you can really plant. So it would be best in your garden area to start prepping it for spring now and keep it saturated, not soggy, but just make sure that it has a healthy amount of water. And with everything happening all across the world, I think it's really important that we have our own house in order, so to speak, as far as our garden areas need to be ready to go for this next spring. We need to make sure that everything is this taken care of in such a way that it's going to be an asset to you. Because I really do feel that, like last year, I said this last year, and I said it the year before, actually, and I'm really surprised that it hasn't happened yet. But one of these days, very soon, I do believe that World War III is going to be in full force. And I see rationing of all sorts of food and fuel and all sorts of items. And so I've been telling people to stock up, and I've been telling people to prepare, and I'm not going to change that message at all. I'm just really shocked that it hasn't happened as far as a worldwide kinetic war, but I really do believe that it is coming. So we have to understand that things that are happening across the world that normally wouldn't affect us, this time really will. A good example is the fuel, as far as heating fuel goes. It seems like that the illegitimate Biden administration is selling down our strategic reserves and they're shipping all sorts of natural gas and propane over to a Europe that shot themselves in the foot by telling Russia they didn't want any more gas or oil from them. And I think that's absolutely absurd that they did that because you would think that they would want all the gas and oil that they could get from Russia. So that would make them actually more independent as far as they wouldn't have to shut their own economies down and they wouldn't have to have their people be uncomfortable in cold houses or worse yet, freeze to death. So I think there's going to be things happening in Europe all winter that are going to affect us 
all the way through this winter and into next spring. And if there's a railroad strike, which may or may not happen, I know that there is a strike scheduled, but I also know how a lot of these unions work. They drag their feet till the last second trying to get just a little bit more, just to sweeten the pot a little bit, so they get a little bit more out of their negotiation. And so I'll believe that railroad strike when it happens. But if it does happen, and you're not prepared, then we're in for a world of hurt. As a matter of fact, even the people who are prepared, I don't know if they're prepared enough. I have a friend that's been preparing for a couple of months because I've been telling her, you need to have food in your pantry. And she finally has a pantry full of food, enough for probably three months. And she showed me her pantry and said, look at all that. She said, I'll never eat that much. I said, yes, you will. I'm sure you'll eat it over time, even if there is no emergency. But she said, well, I could always go to the store and get more. And I said, well, that's where I think that you could be wrong. Because at any given time, we've only got three days worth of groceries that are on the shelf. And if you can imagine the madhouse that grocery stores would be, and that would be in every community in the country, but in the inner cities, in the big cities, the ones that are out of control already, that would be a horrific nightmare. And I would imagine that the stores would be looted. And it seems like looters are very destructive. And so they'll destroy half of it and they'll loot the other half. And so I wouldn't want to be anywhere near a city if things go kinetic as far as a World War III is concerned. Broadcasting from the United States of America, you are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I invite all of my listeners to go to my social media site, which is on VeteranBrigades.com. It's the only social media site that I trust, and you do not have to be a veteran to join. So go to VeteranBrigades.com, sign up, and look me up over there, and on that platform, I'm the Living Off-Grid Show, and I plan on doing lots of interactive things over there with you, my audience. So please go visit me at VeteranBrigades.com. And so we have an awful lot of things on our plate, and we've got a lot to plan for and a lot to try to guess what's going to happen. And I'm of the opinion that you need to err on the side of caution. In other words, prepare and prepare like it's going to be really horrible. And just pray that it's not. Now, I know a lot of people that did a lot of prepping for Y2K, and people laughed at those people. When the clock struck midnight, nothing happened, and then it was 12.01, and people said, well, Y2K didn't happen. And they ridiculed an awful lot of people. And I know that some people that were, and I know that some people that might be preppers actually have not been prepping because they don't want it to happen to them again because they never heard the end of it from their friends and family. But I got an interesting letter from a listener, and I agree 100% that this listener prepped really good for Y2K. And when it didn't happen, he still had the items that he bought, so he still used them, and so he wasn't out anything. 
And also, it taught him how to prep. And so he's been prepping since Y2K. And so he's got over 20 years of prepping experience. And so he's really good at it. And he used the Y2K, what I would call it the hoax or the debacle. He actually used it for good. And he used it to put himself on a learning curve. And so I'm and so I really admire him. I think that was a wonderful idea. Instead of being one of those that shrugged their shoulders or laughed at it, he said, okay, this one didn't hit, but what about the next one? Now, how many people out there really had that attitude? I know I didn't. I thought maybe something might happen. I didn't think that the world was going to come to a screeching halt, but I wondered what was going to happen. But when it was done, I just said, okay, this is done, and I kind of forgot about it. But this gentleman didn't. He instinctively knew that there would be other issues come down in the future that he would need to have preparations for. So he never quit prepping after Y2K. And he's got and he's got all of his bases covered. And so for people like him, my hats are off to you. I think that that's a wonderful idea. And and the people that were born at the turn of the 20th century, the ones that were born in the 1890s, through about 1920, a lot of those people knew how to do without. They knew how to make a meal for six kids out of basically nothing. And it seems like that people got through the Great Depression and got through all sorts of issues that were thrust on them, and they really learned how to survive. But it seems like that their children and their grandchildren weren't quite so lucky as far as they weren't ever trained. And most of the parents of the baby boomers were the children that did without during the 1930s. And it's the grandparents of the baby boomers that really understood the value of a dollar, the value of saving, the value of canning your own food, the value of being able to be self-sufficient. And when the baby boomers look at their children, they see a huge disconnect from the way their grandparents were. And now if they look at their grandchildren, or possibly great-grandchildren, it's almost like the Grand Canyon size of a gap between their grandparents and their grandchildren as far as being able to survive and have common sense and to prepare for a rainy day. It seems like that that older generation always was saving for a rainy day because they knew that rainy day would come. But I think that we have a lot of people on the public trough and they're getting all sorts of assistance as far as food and other things that they really don't think that that shoe is going to drop, that that rainy day is not really ever going to happen. Well, I'm going to tell you, if it hits as hard as what it can hit, the government is absolutely going to be clueless of what to do. And also, they're going to be helpless because look at the debt. Where are they going to get the money and the resources? If they try to raise taxes on we the people, and they try to squeeze more blood out of a turnip, it just doesn't work. But yet we have imbeciles that are in Washington, D.C., and that's exactly what they would do. They would try to raise taxes. It's like when the city officials in New York City and also the whole state of New York are trying to encourage people that are conservatives to move out of their state. And they wonder why their states are broke, because the people that are entrepreneurs and the people that have some money people that have some common sense, are leaving these states. And what's left in these states? Look at the homelessness on the streets. Look at the drug abuse. 
Look at all the people that are on all sorts of government assistance. That's who is the majority of the people that are living in these big metro areas. Now, I know there's very hardworking, very nice people that live in all the metro areas, but they're the minority. The majority of the people that live in these areas are takers and not givers. And so you have these states that are kicking out all their productive people, and they're wondering how they're going to get enough money to operate. And so what are they going to do? Go to these homeless people and tax them? How's that going to work? Well, it's not. What they're going to do is they're going to look at states that are in control, which there are several. There's not a lot of them, but there are several that are in control. They will look at those and they'll try to figure out a way to vote federally, as far as the federal government is concerned, how one state can go pick the pocket of another state using some federal policy. So we have to understand that there are all sorts of things that we just can't hide from as far as a people. And one of the things we can't hide from is a corrupt government that we have, and we can't hide from this war that is eventually going to go kinetic just because there's so many people higher up that want it to be kinetic. I've never seen so many people clamor for war in my life, and I can assure you that none of these people that are clamoring for war ever saw any action in a war. They likely never served. Because the people that are the most anti-war are the people that had to live through that hell, and they don't wish that on anybody. But yet you have people that are making excuses to fight wars. And so I just don't understand how that's getting any traction. And I hope that that war ends soon. I pray for peace, and I would ask that we all pray for peace. And people that are picking sides need to know that I don't think there is a good guy here at all. I think we have two bad actors. I think Ukraine is corrupt, and I think that they're a puppet state of the West. And the only reason that the West is putting so much money to try to save Ukraine is because Ukraine is letting the West put in all sorts of bio labs and they launder money and who knows what else through Ukraine. There's a class of people in the Ukraine as well as in our own government that are making way too much money. And so they don't want to have the goose that's laying their golden egg. They don't want it plucked. And so they're standing up for Ukraine. But the Ukrainians are suffering and they're dying by the thousands. And the war needs to stop. And so we need to quit giving them material and money and ammunition and guns and whatever else we're giving them because we're just prolonging the suffering of the, of the Ukrainian people. But I think we have a selfish group of people all over the world they're all globalists, that they don't care how many common people suffer. That's just part of it. That's just collateral damage as far as they're concerned. As long as they can get money in their pocket from something, they'll do it. They're the type of people that sell guns and ammunitions to both sides just because they want to get rich. But I guess on a long-winded way, I'm trying to say that we need to keep preparing. We need to understand that people might laugh at us and might think that what we're doing is just foolish, but it's never foolish to plan for a rainy day. So as a society, I think that the ones that prepare are the ones that are going to survive. And the ones that don't prepare, they're either going to not survive or they're going to have to rob the people that have prepped. So everyone needs to be careful if they have a stash of food or weapons or whatever. Just keep it to yourself. 
Everything needs to be on a need-to-know basis, and believe me, nobody needs to know. And I've said this on several shows, and I'll say it again here. Leave the children out of your planning. If the children are old enough, you can bring them in the loop. But if you have young children, that's just going to upset them. Just try to shield the children as much as possible. Because there's been enough psychological damage done to the younger kids already with the masks and everything else. And now we have kids terrified of anybody because they think everyone is just a disease carrier. I highly recommend sheltering the children at this time. Because let's face it, you didn't ask for it, and I didn't ask for it. This brave new world, this satanic whatever's happening, none of us ask for this. So let's not spread the misery any farther. It's already been thrust on our shoulders and we have the weight of it to bear. And so let's make sure that we bear the weight and keep it on our shoulders. And let's not pass the misery down to the next generation if we can help it. I just hope that we can resolve something and resolve it rather soon, because I really do feel that there's an end game that is in mind as far as the globalists are concerned. And they seem to be walking in lockstep while all of us that are resisting, we're all pretty well lone wolves out here. Not only me and other talk show hosts, but all the listeners. Most of us are independent people. And we're dealing with people that are not independent. We're dealing with people that like to gather in force and show up and throw their weight around just by numbers. That's one of the reasons they shame people so much on social media. They want people to have hundreds of people be nasty to them and post something on their account or they want people to shun them. They want their families to shun them. They want them to be publicly shamed. Whereas the people that are just minding their own business, like you and me, those things are done to us all the time. And before I go to break, I do want to mention that I really think that the prices are going to start rising as far as propane and also natural gas, just for the fact that it's all going over to Europe, and also some of it's going to China. And so if you're not ready for winter, if you could afford it, go ahead and fill all your propane bottles. But if you get your gas from a natural gas utility, I'm not quite sure how you would handle having your gas shut off. But I think it would be a good idea to have some backup propane, even if you heat with electricity and cook with electricity or have natural gas. It might be a good idea to have a bottle or two of propane and a burner stored away in storage somewhere. Because you never know when the gas might be shut off or be so cost prohibitive, you won't be able to afford it. And having a propane burner and a few weeks of propane stored away, I think is a good plan. And you can always use that propane during the summer, during your cookouts. Because there's lots of people that have propane-powered grills. So stock up for next summer's barbecue season now, so you have it all winter, just in case. And on the other side of the break, I'll pick up where I left off. If you're tuned to frequency 7.490, you're listening to WBCQ. If you're on 5850, you're listening to WRMI, Radio Miami International. And if you're listening on 89.3 FM, you're in tune with Key Radio, Osage Beach, Missouri. Before I get back to today's topics, I'd like to invite each and every one of my listeners to send me an email. My email address is jim 
at offgridliving.faith. I really need to know who's listening and where you're listening from, whether it's by shortwave or podcast or on AM or FM radio. Even if you just pop me an email and say hi, I would appreciate it. And as always, I invite listeners, give me some suggestions of topics that they'd like to hear me cover. I would really appreciate that. Once again, my email address is jim at offgridliving.faith. And also, please visit the website, and the website is offgridliving.faith. If you enjoy the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show, I would ask that you consider donating to the show to help cover expenses, because we don't get paid here. This is all done by donations, and we do not take anything online as far as PayPal or any of that because of all the censorship. Not that they have shut us off, it's just I'm not going to give them the opportunity. So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way, by mail, check, money order, or if you want to put cash in a secure envelope, we would appreciate any donation, any size. Just send all your correspondence to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. That's Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143, and your support is greatly appreciated. This next song was recorded in 1902 by the Edison Military Band. America, played by the Edison Military Band. Replace fear with faith. Replace pessimism with hope. Replace despair with determination. And don't be afraid to rely on God and step out on the sea. to the second half of the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. 
And I've been talking about all sorts of things the first half. The second half, I'm going to take it on to maybe a little more practical homesteading and off-grid type living. And one of the things that I've been doing that I want to share with everyone is I've been doing more welding. And I have been welding with my battery bank. And it's called Positive Ground DC Welding. And if you think about it, when you go get a commercial welder that you plug into your 220 circuit, that transforms everything to DC. The biggest difference is, is that when you use a regular welder, you can set your amperage. But when you weld off your battery bank, you don't know what your amperage is. And so if you have a piece of metal that you want to weld at, let's say, 90 or 105, and that is the amperage you want to apply to your stick welding, and I'm talking stick welding here, then when you use a battery bank to weld with, with the positive ground welding, what happens is, is you're giving somewhere around 180 to 225 amps when you first arc it. And then it goes down rather quickly. And so if you have a bead that's like six inches long and you want to run the bead all the way, your amperage is going to be very hot. But by the time you get to the end of the six inches, your amperage is going to be down 10 to 20%. And so the speed that you are actually making your bead has to decrease as you keep your arc going. And you can't be too slow when you're starting it out or else it'll actually cut. It'll actually melt through what you're welding and leave a big hole instead of actually welding it. So when you first strike your stick and get your arc going, whether you do crisscrosses or loops or however you make your bead, make sure your first actions, your first motions are fast and get about an inch of bead done pretty quick before you start slowing down. Then you slow down about 10% per inch. And that seems to work pretty well for me. Now, my first welds that I made, I was not happy with at all. They looked like an amateur welder that had never seen a welder before because I didn't quite have the amperage in my head figured out as far as having the massive amperage at the very first few seconds and then it amperage changing. And when I finally figured out that's what was happening, I knew I had to change the way I was welding because I was welding like I was using a normal 220 welder because that amperage is set. And so you can have a nice controlled way to put your bead. But if you're positive ground welding with your battery bank, you got to throw all that out the window and basically relearn how to run your beads. You really don't have to relearn how to weld, but you have to learn how to weld and change the speed as you go along, which is kind of tough. But my last several projects have looked really well. The beads have been nice and steady and even. They're not quite up to snuff as far as a good commercial weld, but for an old farmer out here welding machinery together, it's working really well for me. And I have several really good welders, but my generator that runs my welders, it quit two years ago, and I always have other places that are screaming for money. One of these days, I'm going to get together enough money to buy me another generator so I can hook my welders back up. But in the meantime, I've, I've been perfecting welding with my battery bank. And if you have some commercial-grade jumper cables, nothing like you would buy at a dollar store. That's way, way too thin. But if you have 
anywhere like a four gauge, two gauge, or one gauge. But anything as thick as a four gauge, a two gauge would actually be better. But you can weld with jumper cables. You would hook your positive and negative to your battery terminals as normal. But the other end of the cables, you'd put your positive end as your ground. And you'd put that and clamp it on your metal that you're welding. And then you would put your stick in the negative. And also on your battery bank, make sure that you have your cables clamped down really good and tight. Because you don't want to have an arc to happen at your battery post. Because if you have a large bank of batteries, who knows how much gas is coming out of the batteries. So make sure your batteries are ventilated when you're welding. If it's in an enclosed room, make sure you put a fan through. Make sure you have some air flowing through. You can put a fan or something and blow it across the top of your batteries. And what I do is I use my jumper cables, but then I take a C-clamp and I clamp on top of the clamp. And so it actually gets a heavier bite. And that keeps any arcing from happening. I would recommend that you get a regular welder, a DC welder that has amperage that you can control as your first choice. But in a pinch, you need to know how to use your battery bank to do some repairs just in case you, let's say, have a generator and it's gasoline and you can't get any gas and you have something that needs to be welded. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm giving you an option. Just get your good jumper cables and you can stay working. I visited my son a month or so ago. I took some of the tools with me that I've been collecting that I use as a total off-grid experience as far as none of them are electric. And I brought a hand crank drill and a couple of alligator wrenches and a few things like that. And I have quite a collection of antiques. And I'm really happy that I have them because I'm finding that I can go out and get my work done, even if it's way away from my electricity. I can go ahead and drill through posts and do all sorts of things. I have brace and bit. I have a shoulder brace drill. I have a small hand crank drill. And I have two really big drill presses that I imagine that back when they were new were in a professional machine shop. But they're hand crank. And you mount these onto a post. And also on a post nearby, I have what's called a post vise. And they're antiques, but boy, do they ever work. What I think is really something is you can take a solid steel bar of a half inch or one inch thick, and you can actually drill through that almost as fast as you can an electric drill with one of these non-electric hand crank drills. But you really do get your exercise. But if you have a steel plate that's an inch thick, it does take some cranking to do that. But the drill bit goes nice and slow. But it grabs more metal than an electric will. It seems like an electric one makes it spin faster and the chunks of metal are really small. Whereas I have drilled some holes that I've gone at least a quarter of an inch and it's only had one really big long curly Q shaving that's coming up from that hole. And of course the drill presses that I'm using automatically will have the bit, automatically keep the pressure of the bit just perfect. And so you're really not pressing down on the bit at all. You don't use any energy for that. All of your energy goes to cranking. And as your drill bit spins, it's got a mechanism on top that's got a little finger. It's a little trip finger. It's got a wheel that has notches. And as it goes down, that little finger will go around and hit another notch. Then this finger actually will push into a notch and it'll tighten a wheel. 
and as this wheel is tightened, it's putting pressure down on your drill press. And so if you crank that down tight to begin with, it's just as tight uniformly all the way through your hole. That way you can get those really long strips of metal that you've drilled out that are all curly-cued out that if you stretched them out could be like three or four inches long or as long as a foot. And another thing I really like about these drill presses is they go slow enough that they don't scald your bit. You don't really have any heat issues. And if you use some oil on it, the drill bit actually stays rather cool. It'll warm up a little bit, but it's not turning that fast. Whereas an electric drill press, sometimes you can lose some of the temper in your drill bits if you get your drill bit way too hot. And that's another reason to use some sort of good oil. I use motor oil, it's what I use, but there are better oils out there to use as a cutting oil. But when you start living like your great-grandparents lived, and you get used to it, you can kind of see the sense in it. Now, I know a lot of people look at me and they think I'm a crackpot. They say, oh, that's the guy over there that has no electricity. That's the guy over there that he lives like it's 1910. And I know I have my detractors. And anyone that's off-grid, you know what I'm talking about because you're going through the same thing. And really, I don't mind. Because I know that the modern trappings, the things that have everyone addicted, I'm talking everyone, I'm not meaning literally, but let's just say society, the things that have society addicted, I'm not addicted to very much at all. I think I probably am addicted to doing my research on the internet. It's so much faster and easier. So there's several modern things that I would say that I would really miss if I didn't have. But I really do enjoy doing projects a little bit slower. I'm not getting quite the output of work done that I'd like to get done. But I have a lot more satisfaction in my work. And I am getting some exercise. And the thing is, is that as you get older, you're supposed to keep your exercise up, keep your blood pressure better and your blood sugar regulated better and everything that ails you. It seems to be helped by physical exercise. So I really feel like I'm getting some good physical exercise by doing what I'm doing old-fashioned way. Just as long as I don't overdo it, I think it's actually beneficial. And the old saying goes, slow and steady wins the race. And so I've really hit a time in my life where I'm doing things slow and steady. Kind of like this drill press. It's slow and steady. But I tell you what, when you start on that drill press, you see that piece of metal and you think, oh, it's going to take me an hour to get through that. And then several minutes later, the drill bit goes through and you're done. And you see this nice, perfect hole and your metal's not even warm. And it seems like this whole society is to see how fast we can get things done. Have you ever noticed that? Everything's built around speed. If you go on a vacation, you got to get there fast. So if you're driving, let's say, through the mountains, you go as fast as you can to get where you're going. And you don't even enjoy the beauty of the mountains. There are so many people that travel from here to there that can't tell you anything about what's between here and there because they're so busy concentrating on getting wherever they're going fast. And I've learned that life in the slow lane actually is a sweeter type of life, at least in my opinion. It's not the destination as, as much as it is the trip. And I drive antique vehicles, and so I go slow down the road, and I'm sure that bothers quite a few people. But my antique vehicles do me just fine. As a matter of fact, I have about a 700-mile drive I'm hauling cattle, 
and I have a very light horse trailer that I'm going to be able to put the cows in because I'm not taking very many, and they're calves anyway. And so I'm going to use my old car to pull that because it's the most dependable thing that I have that's going to go 1,400 miles around trip in the winter. And my old pickup, it doesn't have a speedometer. It has a calendar. It's way slow, and so I don't want to take it. And I'm sure I'm going to turn a few heads. People are going to wonder, what are you doing that for? Well, it's a car that I own, and it's a car that I trust. And it's a trailer I really like, and it's totally enclosed. And so the animals I'm hauling are not going to get cold at all because I can open a vent in there to give them air, but they're not going to have any wind blowing on them. And they're also Scottish Highlands, and so they have long hair. They're used to brutal winters anyway. And so they're going to be nice and snug inside this nice enclosed trailer. And the trailer happens to be made in 1970, so everything's pretty old that I'm going to be going down the road with. And I'm sure when I get to my destination, which is an auction, there are going to be lots of rigs out there with brand new trucks and brand new trailers, and they're going to haul in the same type of cattle and probably the same numbers of cattle that I'm going to haul in, haul in three or four, because this is not a quantity auction, it's a quality auction. And so the way I look at it is that my rig is still making me money, probably more money per capita than their rig is making them because they're most likely making payments on theirs and mine's been paid off for years. And so I like to look at things the old-fashioned way. So I really think that's something that every prepper should consider, and that's having the ability to live like their great-grandparents. That would mean having some kerosene lamps in the house and knowing how to use them safely. And that would be digging a root cellar if you don't have one. That would be making sure you have a garden space. That would be learning how to be frugal. And I know a lot of the old people always saved every jar. They saved every lid. They saved every jar because they never knew when they might need them. And for those that are old enough to remember their grandparents, their grandparents seemed to have all these jars and cans and lids, but they always seemed to use them. And right now, especially at like at a dollar store, you can go in and see all of these containers that you can buy for a dollar or two, and they're really cheap, really cheaply made plastic containers. And they're worth the money. I'm not, I'm not telling you that they're not worth buying. But the old timers would tell you that if you bought some cottage cheese or something that came in a plastic container, just wash that and then put that in your cupboard and use it. And so that's kind of the mentality that I think preppers need to get is not trying to see how they can prep so their life doesn't change, so they can live the same modern, fast-paced life that they're trying to live right now. I think that it's best that if you get prepared to go off-grid or prepare for an emergency, prepare to slow down. Make sure that you're mentally prepared to slow down. Because if we have a disaster, you're going to be slowed down by the disaster anyway. And things shouldn't be about speed. It should be all about quality. So if you slow down a notch or two and make sure your work is perfect, you're much better off than getting your work done really fast and having it being second rate. And that same applies to people who are prepping. You can prep really fast and go in and you can go into a grocery store and buy several hundred dollars worth of food and say, okay, I'm done prepping. Well, it really doesn't work that way. Because after a while, if you're like me, you'll remember things that you don't have. And you'll say, oh, I didn't get that. And so then you have to make another trip 
to buy things that you didn't really think about. So it's better to put some nice careful thought in your prepping and your planning. And it's better to measure twice and saw once. And so if you have all of your plans done and you've slept on it several nights, and you've let the ideas kind of mature in, the, in your mind, even if you let that simmer back in the back of your mind for a week or two, and constantly add to your list or scratch off the things you have second thoughts about and refine your list, then you'll be able to go on your shopping spree and be very concise, and you'll get exactly what you need in the exact quantity and at a better price because you're not buying things that, oh, maybe I'll need that. Oh, I'll grab one of those because, oh, I might need that too. Impulsive buying like that won't hurt you, but it won't help you near as much as a nice, thoughtful, planned out, very calm and rational as you're planning everything. You should make sure that all your planning is done very slow and methodically. You don't need to have this shoot-from-the-hip mentality. You don't need to just rush out and get things done because it needs to be done. If you're prepping that way and we do have a disaster, then there are things that are going to slip your mind. There are things that you're going to need later on you will have not thought of because you rushed out, you grabbed what you thought you were going to need, and you did it really quick, and then you stored it away and you say, okay, I'm done doing that, so it's on to the next thing. I really don't think you need to prep that way. And anybody who's been prepping for any amount of time at all will tell you that I'm absolutely right, that everything that you prep for needs to have a purpose. I know several people that go get food at food banks, and half the food they get, they don't like. It's either things that they're allergic to or just don't have a taste for. And so they end up giving it away to other people that are in need, and that's a good deal. So I'm not saying anything bad against that. It's just that's how people will prep. They go buy food in bulk, and they may not get the right kind of food that they're actually going to enjoy. And they may not get everything that they really would need and want. And another thing that I like to stress on my program is prayer. Pray about how you're prepping and what you're actually buying and why. And ask God for guidance and ask him for wisdom. And put God in the loop, so to speak, on all your decisions. I know that you'll find that your decisions will be much better and your prepping will be much more thorough. I like to base my whole show on faith. And as you're prepping, make sure that's your main ingredient, is a big healthy supply of faith. And make sure that nothing takes your faith away. Make sure that nothing steals your joy. Make sure that you stay very strong in your convictions. Because right now we're living in a world where nobody really has any convictions, you know, as far as the worldly people. And you have massive amounts of people that just go from fad to fad. If the fad is green hair one day, they have green hair. If the next day the fad is pink hair, their hair is pink. And people like that really don't have any foundation. And if you make a foundation that's built on faith and prayer, then I know that you're way ahead of the game. And it's one thing we should never forget. And one thing that we never should forget is how much we need God in our lives. All I know that is with my life and my prepping and how I'm trying to get things done, I have a peace about me that I've never had before. I have a peace that everything's going to come together in God's will. 
I pray to God, I ask for his guidance, I ask for his wisdom, and then I act on what I feel that God has given me or the feelings that I have deep in my heart, and I just hang tough with my convictions, and I do what I do, and I don't second-guess myself, and I'm very secure and comfortable with what I'm doing. And in this world of insecurity, in this world where people just are in chaos and they're living around chaos, it's really nice to have an inner peace and not be at chaos within yourself. And I know that's another plague that's hitting the entire world, is the chaos. And so much of it is internal. It's like the road rage. The people that get mad because someone forgets a turn signal, they have an awful lot of problems that have nothing to do with driving a car. It's an internal chaos, and they have to lash out. And so I know I can speak for myself, is that I love my inner peace. I love the way I have an inner peace. And I do acknowledge where that inner peace comes from. And so I would ask anyone that does not have a relationship with Almighty God, I think you really need to reconsider that. Well, I hope someone got something from this program today. It's been kind of all over the map, but I really didn't have any one topic I wanted to hit. I had a lot of little topics that I wanted to kind of wrap up. And so I wanted to kind of clean house a little bit here and comment on and talk about some of the things that I've been wanting to get to the last several shows, but didn't. And again, I want to welcome the new listeners on WRMI. Thank you for listening. And to all my radio listeners, whether they be in Osage Beach, Missouri, or listen to me on WBCQ or WRMI, make sure that you come back same time next week for another edition of the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. Now, this show is listener-supported, and it's only because of your generosity I'm able to put these shows on the air. And I take checks and money orders, and you would write the check out to Thunderbolt West Media, and you would mail to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, Hershey, Nebraska, and the zip code is 69143. Each and every donation is so much appreciated, and I want to say a special thank you to those who have donated. I really appreciate it. So until next time, everyone stay strong, stay vigilant, stay hopeful, but most important of all, replace fear with faith. This is Jim Calhoun with the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. The song Step Out on the Sea is performed by Brit Small and Festival. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.